We're starting a brand new series called Sweat Equity. We're actually going to spend the next three weeks in the book of Proverbs, taking a look at what God has to say about work and laziness and sloth and jobs and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm going to start off by saying that the average American can have as many as 19 jobs in their lifetime. I've had a lot of jobs in my 42 years. I scrubbed pots and pans in a kitchen at Brandon University. I worked for my dad as a younger person. My dad was a dairy equipment salesman. So I would, I would recalibrate milk pulsators and I would assemble barn cleaner chain during the summers. It was a great time. I planted trees for the Canadian Forestry Service in Northern British Columbia. That was a job from hell. That was the worst job known to man. In fact, I think right now in hell, somebody is being told, you have to go plant trees. That's a part of their eternal punishment. It was terrible. When Laurel and I were first married, I managed an A&W restaurant. Laurel didn't like it very much because I came home every night smelling like pickles, onions, and grease. I mean, it was just not a lot of fun. But when you are trying to provide for your family, you do what you have to do. I've had one career in my whole life. I've been a pastor. This is my 20th year. I'm still doing it. I still love it. But when I look back over my job history, there are two common factors that run through it. One of it is me, because it's my job history, and the second one is work. I like work. I come from a long line of farmers who, who if they didn't work, they didn't eat. That was the bottom line. So I have no problem with work, and I enjoy the work of being a pastor. I enjoy the mental aspect of my job. I enjoy the study aspect of my job. I enjoy the strategic staff part of my job. I enjoy those things. And even when I have a day off, I still like to work. I mean, if you come to my house on the Friday when I take my day off, you'll probably find me working in my yard. I love that. I like edging things. <laughs> I like clipping plants. I like making everything look meticulously the way that it's supposed to. I really enjoy that. I think there's something cool about breaking a sweat and getting something done. And I know this. Work is common to all of us. Whether you run a company or whether you're completing algebra assignments in the sixth grade, you have been called at some level to engage in this thing called work. Sometimes work is fun, other times work is not fun at all. I found this little story. It's actually a letter being written from a man who's trying to fill out an accident report after a very bad day at work. It goes like this. It says, Dear Sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information in block three of the accident report form. I put poor planning in as the cause of my accident, you asked for a fuller explanation and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I saw that I had some bricks left over, which when weighed later on, were found to be slightly in excess of 500 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley which was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. Securing the rope on the ground, or the rope on the ground, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it securely to ensure a slow descent of the brick barrel. You will notice in block 11 of the accident report that I weigh roughly 135 pounds. <laughs> Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. 
This explains my fractured skull, minor abrasions, and broken collarbone as listed in Section 3 of the accident report. Slowing only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley system. Ugh. Fortunately, by this time, I'd regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope so I did not fall in spite of beginning to experience deep pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom broke out of the barrel. Now devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds, and I refer you again to my weight. Are you doing the math? As you can imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building, and in the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming back up. This accounts for my two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and several lacerations on my, broken, on my legs and lower body. Here, however, my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries so that when I fell back down onto the pile of bricks, I only fractured three of my vertebrae. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. And I lay there watching the empty barrel begin its journey back down towards me one more time, which explains my two broken legs. I hope this answers all of your questions. You think you had a bad week? Seriously, if you're walking, you're better than this guy. You know, with the economy being the way it is, employment and work have become an incredibly hot topic. With layoffs and downsizing, cutbacks and reorganizations happening, people are scared these days about what their life would look like if they were suddenly out of work. Before I begin this series, I want you to know how seriously and carefully I'm going to tread. And I need you to know some things. I need you to know that I know exactly how it feels to be unemployed because I have been. I need you to know that I know what it feels like to get a layoff notice in my box. I know the panic and the fear that sets in when you wonder how in the world are you going to feed your family. And I also know how God meets us in those moments of fear and need. I know many of you in this room want to work, but the truth is you haven't had the opportunity. And maybe today you're having a bit of a crisis of faith because you're wondering, why isn't God answering these prayers and petitions? I just want to work. Right now, your work is looking for work. And what you need to know more than anything today is God knows exactly what's happening in your life and that He cares deeply about what's going on. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see what God has to say about the value and the calling of work. We're going to examine our own response to work. We're going to be confronted with the sins of laziness and sloth, and we're going to see that somehow there is a holiness that we are to accomplish when we are working. My prayer is, over the next three weeks, if you are an image bearer of the Most High God, and you're one of those people that just works incredibly hard every day, that you will walk out of here feeling like God is smiling on you. That you are deeply blessed. That God is proud of you because you're one of those people who sees your work as your worship. My prayer is, if you're one of those people who's had nine jobs in three years, and you can't figure out for the life of you why God keeps giving you such lousy bosses, my prayer for you is that at some point in the next three weeks, you're going to get a clue. All right? That's what my prayer is for you. My prayer is, if you're here as a 38-year-old man who still lives in his mommy's basement and sleeps with Star Wars sheets and in pajamas that still have feet. Do you get that picture? 
My prayer is that if you're some guy who actually thinks that Jesus cares about your score on Mario Kart and you spend your time blogging and whining about how the world isn't fair and you just keep promising your mommy over and over again, I'll look for a job tomorrow, mommy, I promise. My prayer is that you will understand that you're a target during this series and that God has a lot to say about you. In fact, he calls you a slug. I feel much better after getting that off my chest. I really do. Actually, my prayer for your mommy is that she will cease to enable you and kick you out so that you can go and accomplish what God has for you in your world. Somebody said amen. I got one with me. That's cool. Are you hiring? <laughs> this week as we get started, I want to present to you a simple theology of work. Because we don't understand what the Bible has to say about work we're probably going to end up with some wrong conclusions. We're going to move fast, so I'm going to encourage you to start your pen or your pencil and follow along with me. Here's the first blank in your outline. Work is God-ordained, God-designed, and God-purposed. When God made the first man, Adam, he had a plan and a purpose for that man. And that plan did not include the man being able to swing back and forth in a hammock and wait for somebody to bring him a drink. That was not God's plan. The Bible tells us exactly what God's plan was in Genesis chapter 2. Scripture says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Right from the very first day of creation, God entrusted man with a stewardship of work and care. Which means this. If you are not working, if you're refusing to work, you are not accomplishing and living out your life in a way that will accomplish God's purpose for you. Now, I fully understand. I get this, okay? I know some people cannot work. It's not a choice for them because of injury, because of something that may have happened. They can't work. But even those people are still called to care and to contribute. There is a huge difference between a person who cannot work and a person who will not work. Amen? Huge difference. Generally, for the most part, for 98% of the people in this room, you are called to work. Now, this is where people often get confused. Okay, so God purposed it. He ordained it. He laid it out there for us. Here's the second blank. We need to understand, not only is work all of those things, work is hard. Now, people often think, that work was actually a product of the curse because Adam sinned. They think, and they get the order all wrong, they think that work came along because Adam sinned, and they get all ticked off, and they come to this logical conclusion. Because work was a result of sin, that somehow work is to be resented or resisted. That is bad theology because the order's all wrong. Good work was here before the fall. Before the curse, before sin even showed up, God had said to Adam, I brought you here and I want you to be able to work. Now the impact of the curse is that we're going to have to work. The impact of the curse is just that work got harder. Let's see where it says that in Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, Scripture says this. To Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, 
and to dust he will return. Today we need to stop blaming Adam for this thing called work. Work is not bad. Work is good for you. You should be working at some level. You need to work. Work is not bad, but it's harder because of the curse. But, I mean, seriously, just look at the life of Jesus all by himself. I mean, he grew up with, with a Jewish legacy which meant that he would have worked with his father. His dad was a carpenter. That means Jesus was a carpenter. He swung a hammer. He had calluses on his hands. He used to build things. Even when he ceased being a carpenter, he gave himself fully for the ministry. And the Bible tells us that Jesus would go out and he would walk continuously from town to town. That he would preach till he was exhausted. That he would teach until he was exhausted. That he would heal people and meet needs. And he would reach into people's lives. We know that it was exhausting because of the number of times the Bible tells us that Jesus was tired. I mean, he was just working hard. And I don't know about your conviction, but I believe this. If hard work was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for his followers, should it not? We should be the hardest workers. So work is hard. Here's the next one. Work is joyful. Okay, if you just groan deep down in your soul, you don't get this, all right? But, oh, work, right? Work should be enjoyable. I mean, there's something amazing that happens within us when we accomplish an honest saint's work. Solomon was the wealthiest man in world history. I believe he got there because he was an incredibly hard worker. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 3. Scripture says this. So I saw that there's nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Solomon says, your hard work is your legacy. That's what you're going to leave behind. That's the example that you set. I love coming home after a good day's work. I love being able to look back at the day and say, you know what, I don't know if I got it all right, but I believe I did everything that God called me to do. I believe that I worked hard enough to make a difference today. That sense of accomplishment should bring you unspeakable joy. Why does it bring us joy? Because not only is work hard and joyful, work is worship. It's worship. I mean, whether you design houses or paint stripes on a parking lot, whether you manage a household of kids and activities, whether you install garage doors, study for sermons, learn microbiology in a college classroom, I don't care if you dig a ditch, flip a burger, manage a staff, or learn middle school algebra, as a child of God, everything that you lay your hand to is an act of worship to your king. Say, where does that come from, Grant? It comes from Colossians chapter 3. It's a typo in your outline. Make sure you change the two. It says Colossians 2. Change it to a three so you can check up on it later. Scripture says, whatever you do, whatever, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are served. I'll tell you, men, we have to get this. More than answering to your parents as a young person, more than answering to your boss or the CEO or the CFO of your company, more than answering for your supervisor. If you're here today and you would dare to call yourself a Christian, a Christ one, a follower of Jesus, you need to understand that, that you don't work for those people. You work for God. And he demands your absolute best. Knowing that you will answer to God for your work, that should thrill some of us. It's just like, that's awesome. For others of us, that should scare us to death. 
thinking that you're going to answer for everything that you've ever done. Because some of us, and let's just shoot straight. Some of you, you just play lazy. You think somehow the world revolves around you, that the universe revolves around you, and, and you can't hold a job, and you should be freaking out at the fact that someday God is going to hold you accountable for your lack of discipline and devotion. My friends, let's just get this straight. Your boss does not sign your time card. Jesus does. And that should change the way you go about your day-to-day work. I don't care what you do. You're going to answer to God for the way in which you carry out His God-given gift to you, which is work. This is where it gets scary, because not only is work worship, it's also responsibility. This one gets tough. This is where people who are looking for a handout want to get off God's gravy train, right in this movie. Now, I want you to hear me crystal clear on this, okay? Because if you don't hear me clear on this, Something that I'm going to say here in the next couple of minutes is going to be incredibly misinterpreted. I fully understand that there are real people with real needs, and that sometimes they just need a little help. I get that. I know that life often isn't easy for people. Sometimes, in fact, it's just a struggle. If you get laid off or downsized, I understand how difficult that can be. Those are real people who, who just need some real help. And we have a food bank in Christ that ministers to people who just need a little help. And I know something about the vast majority of people that come and stand in the food bank line. They are taking, make no mistake about it, they are taking responsibility. They just need somebody to help. Somebody to reach out and care for them. So, somebody to, to give them a gift with no strings attached that just says, look, we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus and help you right now because someday we might need that. I'm not talking about those people. I'm not talking about people who've taken responsibility and still need help. I'm talking about people who have a sense of entitlement and think that somehow they're exempt from this scripture. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says this, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. There's the difference again, right? The difference between somebody who cannot and somebody who will not, somebody who refuses. I mean, this always happens to me. A couple of times during the year, I'll be leaving work at the end of the day, and somebody will walk up to me in the, in the, as I'm going to my car and they say, hey, 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 you, do you work in that church right there? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm one of the pastors of Christ the King. Oh, really? So you're a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Then you need to take me to Derek Queen and buy me a burger right now. There's a verse that says you have to. If you're a real Christian, you're supposed to provide for me. Like, really? I'm not sure where you get that verse. I'm not sure where you get that verse, but I got another verse for you that you may not have heard of. And the verse goes like this. If you don't work, you don't eat. So my question to you is this. Are you looking for a job? Do you have a job? Or are you just wasting my time trying to scam me out of something and make me feel guilty? At that point, you see the conversation gets really, really quiet. Like, That's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, it is. My friends, I want you to make. I want to make sure we get this. Those of us who have been blessed, 
have opportunities every day to meet somebody's God bless your heart if you swing through a restaurant, because I know there are people in Christ that came to carry extra food in their car. Be able to bless somebody, help somebody. God bless you as you provide. I'm talking about people who have a sense of entitlement. That somehow the world owes them something. Make no mistake, my friend. God provides for people. But God also wants people to take responsibility. And if they're able to work, to do so, so that they can experience the fact that work is joy and it's worship. Here's the next one. Work is non-negotiable. <laughs> people don't like this one. But in God's eyes, it's true. Pro Proverbs 21 says this, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. There it is again. Not somebody that, can't, or that will not work, or somebody that cannot work, it's somebody that will not work, they refuse. The key part of that verse is the word refuse. Some people just refuse, and God says, that's fine, but there's a consequence for that decision. Here's the next one. Let's flip the coin over for a moment. While work is not negotiable, work is also not the essence of life. Because for some of us, let's just be honest, work has become our idol. We spend the majority of our time thinking about work. We immerse ourselves in our work. We pursue our work because we're trying to build some kind of a nest egg so that someday we can put up our feet and rest and You've probably seen these people before, maybe even on your vacation. This is the man or the woman whose kids are swimming in the pool and they're sitting on their lounge chair with their laptop attached to their fingers and their cell phone attached to their ear and a copy of the Wall Street Journal in the other hand. These are the people who, whose children swim over to the side of the pool and say, hey dad, will you come and work? Will you come and play? Just for a few minutes, just, just come and play, just for a few minutes. We, we just want to spend a little bit of time Come on, Mom, you can put that aside. You do that all of the rest of the year. But can you just come and hang out with us just a little bit? Mom and Dad, if that's you, I'm going to give you a reason to be upset with me today because I'm going to tell you what you're teaching your children by doing that. You're teaching your children the sin of idolatry. And you're sending them a very clear message as they swim off to absorb their time so they don't bug you anymore. As they swim off to the other side of the pool, you're sending a very clear message that they don't matter nearly as much as what's happening to the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I've been guilty of that sin. When I first became the senior pastor here, I was completely immersed I remember Laurel having to come to me one day and say, Greg, just so you know, Greg came and stood by your elbow and called your name six times. My family had to lovingly confront me with the simple fact that I could be present in body, but that didn't mean that I was present with my head A lot has changed over the last six years. God helped me grow an on-off switch. When I go on vacation, the switch goes to the off position. 
those of us who are prone to workaholism and disappear into that world, the Bible has a question for you that we talked about during Easter. It asks this, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? We need a couple more. We go through this theology where work is not salvation. You can't work your way into heaven, my friends. When you get to heaven and walk through the gates, Jesus is not going to ask you for a resume and a cover letter. He's just not going to do that, I promise you. Listen to Paul's words. He talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I love the balance here. Paul says, I worked harder than everybody. I was out there on the front end. Jesus signs my time card. I was doing everything I could. I poured every single piece of effort into my life, but I understood something. My work effort was not securing my salvation. That came from a gift. The gift of Jesus dying on the cross. He understood how this worked. But he sets an incredible example here. My friends, if you're a follower of the Most High God, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be the hardest worker in your company. You should be the most loyal employee. You should be the most passionate peacemaker in your office. You should be the boldest truth teller. You should be more honest than any other human being in there if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. You want to know what breaks my heart? What breaks my heart is this. I listen to employers because I, I hang around with a lot of business guys and business ladies. I hear them talking about how their Christian employees, Christian employees, are lazy whining, entitlement-driven, ungrateful people, that their biggest contribution to the day is the drama and the trauma that they bring into the office with them. You know what's tragic about that? People look at that because you called yourself a Christian, they see how you work, and then they transfer that picture to Jesus, and they go, if that's the God that makes them act like that, no thank you. And then we wonder why sometimes to share the gospel. My friends, I live for the day when a business person calls me on the phone and says, you know what, I'm not into the church thing. In fact, I'm not even sure God exists. But I've heard that if I want to hire the best employees in this county, that I should go looking at a place called Christ the King Community Church. I love Can you imagine how the gospel might spread if our reputation was to be one of the best of the best? Because we were willing to work harder than anybody. Just think about it for a second. Here's the last one. Work is balanced with godly rest. Here's the other flip side. It's balanced with godly rest. Let me read Exodus 31 for you. I want to talk about one scripture. Here it is. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. Whoa, right? It's like, what did you learn from church this morning? The Bible says, take a vacation day or die, right? Whoa. That's what it says. I think it's teaching 
teaching a very important principle. If you agree with this principle at the end, I'll give you an opportunity to respond. But I've learned something to be true in my 42 years of life, and it's this. You can rest voluntarily, or if you refuse, God will impose rest for you. True? Now, you can do it willingly, or God will just say, you're getting a spiritual time out. I'm going to put you on the shelf for three or four days. If you won't lay down and rest, I'll take your feet out from under you. And then you will rest. I want us all to know that uh, this one's a struggle for me. I'm not claiming innocence on any of these things. I don't do a good job of resting. In fact, last weekend, I think I sent myself a very clear message. I took my first weekend off in a really long time. Pastor Terry was going to preach. I knew you guys would love his southern drawl and his dry sense of humor. And I just knew he was going to do a great job. So I took the whole weekend off. Laurel and I spent Friday together. We had an awesome time. My wife is great to hang out with. We just have a great time. You can hang out more. Right, Dave? Yeah. Right? So, we were hanging out together. And then on Saturday, we did the same thing. We slept in in the morning. Spent the day just hanging out, and we went on a date. We went out for dinner, and then we went out for a movie. And we got halfway through the movie, and I just started thinking, This is not good. I do not feel well. I kind of walk out afterwards, look in the rearview mirror of my car, I'm like the color of a car, you know, kind of this slate gray. It's not good at all. And, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, This was supposed to be a weekend where we could just rest together, and instead, I'm flat on my back with the flu. Laurel has told me before that basically this is how it works. If you're not resting well, when you take your foot off the gas pedal and your body just goes, I'm out, that that's an indication you've not been living with a good balance. So she was kind. She looked after me. I mean, I'm not pretty with the flu. I, I, I turned three years old when I got the flu. So she was caring for me and watching over me. But I still saw that look, right? <laughs> Work is supposed to be balanced with godliness. That's for everybody in this room, including the pastor. As we get ready to close today, I know that some of you have heard this theology of work, and you're already creating some exceptions in your brain. It's going, ah, that verse doesn't apply to me. That applies to this guy. That applies to that person over there. I've negotiated a different deal with Jesus, so this doesn't apply to me. I actually need to do my own thing. Give a break. <laughs> I know that there's people in this room who really want to work, and honestly, because you haven't been able to find something listening to this, it's be tough for you today. Once again, I want to say, God knows. And God cares. I know some of you can't work for various reasons. And my prayer is that you wouldn't allow the enemy to whisper lies to you right now. You can still contribute, believe me. But I also know that some of you, if you were just to shoot straight, I'd have to say you're just plain lazy. You found other words to substitute for lazy. You call yourself contemplative. It's spiritual. I got three words for you. I know that we all like to find our way around God's truth, but the truth 
truth is the truth. So before you write me a letter and claim your exemption on what God has to say, my prayer is that you'll just listen to the next couple of weeks because I think God's got a lot to say to us. Next week, I'm going to talk about a guy that God calls a slug. I'm hoping it's going to be funny and very convicting if you are one, okay? My prayer is that you are. As we close this morning, I have six questions that I'm going to ask you. If you'll do me a favor, if you can put your outline away, close up your Bible. The answers to these questions are not between me and you, they're between you and Jesus. I'm just going to read the question and you can do with the answers on your way home, okay? Question number one. Has work become your God? If so, then you need to repent because God said you should have no other gods before me. Question number two. Has laziness become your convenient excuse? Then for the love of God, you need to get to work. Question number three. Have you lost your joy in your worship in your work? Maybe you're one of those people who dread where you have to go to work tomorrow. I can't change your workplace, but maybe I can give you a different perspective by reminding you, you don't work for that boss. You work for Jesus. He signed your time. Question number four, have you shirked your God-given responsibility for work? If you just place that off into somebody else, then you need to repent too. Question number five, have you tried to work for God's approval? Are you on some religious treadmill? Trying to get God's attention. My friends, can I just help you step off of that? You have God's full attention. You don't need to do something spectacular to make him go, wow, look at that guy over there. He sees you. It doesn't mean you're exempting yourself from hard work. It just means you understand that that work is to bring glory to God. Let's try and win your salvation. And number six, are you balancing work with godly rest? Because if you're not, then maybe you need to repent of Could you pray with me this morning? God, thanks for tough truth. Thanks for conviction when we need it. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who are gainfully employed, whether they work at home kids or in an office. And God, I pray that they would be deeply grateful for what it is that you called them. God, I pray for those who are looking for work and lack opportunity right now. And I appeal to them, to Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides, that you would open a door of opportunity and allow them to flourish and fulfill their God. God, I pray for those who this morning have come face to face with the fact that they may be lazy. God, I pray that you would convict them and speak to them that they may be able to experience what it feels like when work is worship and joyful. God, for each one of us today, I pray that we would know that our example of following Jesus lived out the work that we do. So God, may everything that we lay our hands to this week bring honor and glory to the name of your Son, Jesus.
pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.